One year ago, we announced the launch of Radius Carolina, a night church here in Columbia, South Carolina, targeting those who can't make a morning service. Six months later, at the back end of January, we had our first service and it was incredible. Since then, we've seen the Lord's graciousness in numerous ways. We've been able to target athletes, construction workers, those in the medical field, and students who just honestly can't find a Sunday church home. But as good as God has been in the past few months, we are so, so, so excited about this coming August. 40,000 students from USC alone will be coming back to Columbia, not to mention students from CIU, from Midlands, Columbia College, and the other colleges represented here in the state's capital. We're so excited to be targeting these students, chasing after them, trying to make the name of Jesus known. I was just talking with a student the other day, and he was so excited to hear of a church and was excited to partner with a church that wasn't just trying to get students in the door to boost numbers, but actually wanted to go out on campus. And so we ask you, Radius Church, partner with us in prayer. As we move into August, as we're moving students onto campus, hanging out with them, playing Frisbee on the horseshoe, be in prayer that the Lord's hand would be on it. And we're excited to be sharing stories with you in the next year. All right. So if you're a long-term Radius person, that really excites us. This is what we've dreamed about. We have dreamed about planting churches all over this area, the Midlands. And so we're really excited they're getting started. If you know a student down there, you ought to, you ought to give them their name. They'll, they'll be meeting tonight, next, next Sunday night, every, every Sunday night. We got a big sign on your way out the door. You see it if you've been here before. It's our mission statement, Radius Church exists to glorify God. We spend some time every Sunday worshiping to, to speak of his glory, but we really want to glorify God with our lives. And so we try to nail down the three ways in which we want to do that by making disciples, planting churches, and living generously. And this, this is what, like, what we're doing. We're planting a church in that area so we can make disciples. There's 6,000 college students right around that church, like right within a one-mile radius, right, right there. So we, we're planting a church. We're putting a family, a spiritual family, in the middle of community so that they can make disciples. And the cool part is for us, like we live generously. You and I, we pool our resources so that they can do that. John Ross is a Generation Z leader, which we're pretty excited. We, we were starting to get some Generation Z guys. We had three Generation Z guys preach here over the, over the month of July, a couple millennials and three Generation Z guys. So like, we're really excited about God giving us the opportunity to reach the next generation. As you know, they're processing stuff way faster than some of uh, those in the room my age. Last week, I heard the speaker made fun of me sitting down. <laughs> I just thought, man, I sit down because I have a job. It took me, I mean, I work all week. I'm tired at the end of the week. I don't know what he's doing, man. <laughs> um, we are really serious about our future, and we're excited to pass the baton to the next generations. It is our responsibility to take the good news that we've been entrusted with and give it to the future generations. So that's what that's all about. Um, I wanted to take a minute just to be a family. We've got a lot going on here in the last six weeks, really, where um, it is great to be part of a spiritual family. If you're new here, there's been a lot of suffering here at Radius. Um, some of our families have, have been through it. And so um, it's a time where it is so good to know Jesus, 
and as a spiritual family to be able to go to the creator and ask for help. Just to keep you up to speed, the Smiths are back. Their Becca's at home, which is great news. They came back Friday, had a, a great celebration. Many of you have warred for them spiritually, been praying for her healing. Been nothing but progress here in the last little bit. So lots to celebrate there and really glad to have them home. Many of you guys have been praying for Caleb Johnson. If you've been here a while, Russell was the teaching pastor here. And uh, Caleb was diagnosed with leukemia here recently and has been through a lot of treatment. I got to see them last week, and uh, he, he is coming along really good. It's a two-year process of chemo. The first six months are really intense, but the doctors, the prognosis at this point is really good looking forward. I got to be a part of you guys, like, caring for him spiritually, but then there was a couple young guys here at Radius that decided they wanted to care for him physically, and so they worked out a way to buy. Like, he had a truck. And Russell was confident that Caleb's truck would not make the trip to Texas, right? And so some guys here at Radius decided to encourage the family and encourage uh, Caleb. They wanted to, to get him a truck. I'm, I got a picture on my phone. You want to see it. It's amazing. It was very fun for me to watch the guys here decide to do that. And it was fun for me to get to see them receive it. So I got to make the drive, which is relaxing to me. It was, uh, man, it's just fun to be a part of a family that responds to stuff like that. We still got stuff going on here. You, uh, if you know Marcus Miller, um, he's being treated in Charleston as we speak. And so, um, again, it, things are going well, and we're thankful for that. But I want to continue to pray for Marcus. The Simpsons had some scary news this week and then got good news. So we're going to celebrate that because we were praying for good news on a prognosis. Uh, I saw Carson Galloway back here. Uh, great to see you, Carson. Great to have you here. Um, Great story of Radius where you hanging out with some Radius guys and start hanging out. And we got to see each other the other day. Really good to have him back in town and look forward to his recovery as well. And then some bad news. Um, at Radius Centerville, there's a, a couple there. You may not know them. Their name of the Harmons. And Sarah had diagnosed with a pretty serious cancer diagnosis. And so we're going to pray for her right now. There was surgery done on Friday. It went well. Long ways to go. It is great to be part of a group of people that can go straight to God in these situations because uh, most of us are really limited in what we can do uh, for any of them. So I want to do that for us now. If you do that with me, I'd appreciate it. I trust you, Lord. I trust you on the bad days. And so right now we... Uh, we want to come to you to intercede for the Harmons. Recognize, Lord, you, all you got to do is touch Sarah's body, and she's well. And that's what I want. That's what we want. That's what we'll ask for. Pray, Lord, that you would meet them in um, this really difficult time and give them peace, that you'd be um, abundantly present where they could sense your presence. I'll be good to them. Care for them, Lord. We do thank you, Lord. We want to thank you. We're praying and praying. We've been praying for Becca and Caleb specifically, and thank you for good movement on both of them. There's still a long ways to go, so we ask for more progress. We pray for more healing. Uh, really glad to see Carson here, Lord. We pray for you to continue to make 
make uh, him healthy, Lord. And we uh, want to pray for Marcus and thank you for other good news like the Simpsons. We put all that in front of you. And we, we hate suffering. But we recognize that you often teach us through it and walk us through it, and that's what we want. As we open your word, Lord, bring it life and explain it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been doing a series we call Real Lives, Real Faith. It's uh, out of one chapter in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. Just to remind you, the Bible wasn't written like we write books today. So Hebrews was a letter written to some Jewish folks. Later, somebody named it Hebrews, right? Like, like the writer didn't go, oh, I think I'm going to name this Hebrews, right? Like that's not inspired. He just wrote a letter to some people who knew Jesus. They were Jewish folks. And so later they named it Hebrews. He didn't go, hey, here's the end of chapter 11. I think I'm going to start chapter 12. He just wrote a letter. And later some organized guy broke it up so that right now I could stand up and say, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, which is right after Hebrews chapter 11. So for all summer, we've talked about real lives, real faith. And now we just want to conclude it by taking these two verses that follow that chapter and take a little time and let them wash over us. By the way, all these people that uh, we read about in our culture, either the right or the left or the moderates would have canceled them. Right? They, like, like the Bible talks about them as hero, heroes, but, but these days, eventually, all of them had cracks in armor. All of them had stories that they were ashamed of. And yet God puts them forth as heroes of the faith. It's a good reminder to those of us that come in the room. There's this temptation to be self-righteous, and it doesn't matter really where your ideology are. You're always looking for somebody who's less. So we point the finger and we throw words or rocks at them. These guys, these ladies, they certainly, some of them literally had rocks thrown at them. Some of them were literally canceled by being killed for their faith. Um, just a good reminder of those folks. Let me read you this passage. It's pretty cool. Chapter 12, it's famous verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Pretty, pretty cool picture Hebrews chapter 12 paints. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, what is that? Now, if you grew up in church and you heard another translation, because this is the New Living Translation, if you heard the NIV or the NASB or, or other translations, it actually uses the word cloud instead of crowd, which is interesting. Like, how did NLT come up with crowd? Well, really, like in ancient days, the word cloud was often used to refer to a group of people. So very accurate to use crowd instead of cloud. But I like cloud because there's like this spiritual. There's this mystery to it. It feels like it's setting up this story that's beyond us. It's this group of people watching that um, have already lived, and, and they make up this crowd, this witnesses to our life of faith, which I think is fascinating. So what you begin to read as, as you read chapter 11, you get into these two verses, you start going, man, 
we're in a race of some sort. And evidently, all these people watching, they think that faith is what matters in the race. And in one way or the other, the people watching that he's talking about, like all the people in chapter 11, like they're evaluating us or encouraging us to walk by faith because it's what matters. It's what lasts. It's what you think about after you die as opposed to what we think about here and now. So in those days, the only crowds they would really know, they had big amphitheaters in some of the bigger cities, and so they would, they would gather. And when, when, I'm sure when this was read to the Hebrews, they thought about the amphitheater, the big crowd coming to be entertained by somebody on the stage or hearing somebody uh, that's eloquent speak, the big crowd. In our culture, it's Williams Bryce, right? Like, like there's a huge crowd at Williams Bryce. And, and around the edge, a lot of times you'll see in football stadiums, you'll see the Ring of Honor. There'll be the famous folks. There's this huge crowd. And they're gathered to see a bunch of guys do their best to, to win a game. And it's, it's crazy how that whole thing, you've been there, right? Like, it's so emotional. Like, your, your hands will go up. And so the crowd will be so excited that there's a touchdown or there's a great play. Your hands go up. It'd be okay if you put your hands up here, by the way. But, like, because the 19-year-old just scored a touchdown, we put our hands up, right? And then, you know, when the other team scores a touchdown, there's, the, there's this. It's crazy. You watch the, the, any, any team's. Uh, crowd, they, they kind of like, they start sinking down. Their head goes down. They look at each other. You can hear, oh. That happens a lot with Williams Rice. But anyway, 31-30, uh, I know. Y'all won once in nine years, and they keep saying 31-30. I don't get it. Anyway. Uh, if you're alive and you know Jesus, guess what? You're in the game. You're like, no, nah, bro, I don't want to play in this game. I don't want a bunch of people watching me. Like, I don't want William Bryce fool watching me. Like, they're looking, <laughs> they're looking at you, bro. Like, I hate it. Like, you might be on the bench. You might want to stay on the bench. But there's a bunch of people watching us play, those of us that have believed in Jesus. So what are we going to do? How are we going to run? The passage, uh, the passage says, strip off every weight that slows us down. We've got all these people watching. He says, how about, how about running? Strip off. You, you seen how the, like the distance runners, they wear them little shorts that they cut right up. Like, like, I'm always going, man, what? Man, get some longer shorts on. The distance runners, they got these little shorts. And, and, and I, guess it, I guess it feels like they can run better like that because they, they, you, you can, anyway, like they're, they're, you younger crowd in here, y'all got them little shorts on now. Y'all wear them to church and stuff. Like little shorts. Older people in your room, you with me? Like, I'm not going back. I'm staying with the long shorts. I, I ain't got thighs anymore, so I might as well like, cover them up. But there's this picture. Like, if you're running a race, then you want to be as light as possible and be able to run. So he says, like, cast all of that off of you. What, what slows you down? What weight do you need to put aside? I was thinking about myself, and I imagine this applies to you. I, I tend to just end up in hurry mode right? Busyness. And at times I run right by everything that matters. This life of faith. I'm just moving so fast that I can't, I can't see some of the stuff that matters. It was fun. I got to drive this cool truck. You can see it if you want to look at my phone later uh, to Texas. And I wasn't in a hurry. Normally I'm nine miles over. We'll stop when we got to get gas, right? Like we ain't stopping. We're going. But I wasn't in a hurry, so, 
Speed limit for me is like four over, so I'm going four over the whole way. But it's amazing. Like, you're the slowest person on the road at four over, and I'm just kind of going slow, and I can listen to music, and I'm not, not uptight about getting where I got to get. I stopped at the shrimp basket in Alabama. If you haven't been to shrimp basket, it's like a hole in the wall. It's, it's great. $18.99. It was a splurge. I got, I got steamed shrimp, potato. I mean, enough butter to put you to death. It, it, was, it was wonderful. I sat there, and I ate my meal, and I had a little book that I was reading on the way, and I'm sitting at the table by myself. And three, uh, three dudes showed up to sit right beside me. I, it's cool when you go to the restaurant by yourself because you can kind of eavesdrop on the next table. I mean, not on purpose, right? Uh, <laughs> these three, I mean, these, these are a little bit knuckleheads, young, 20-something working guys. And they're chattering, going on. And I'm reading and eating. And because of the slowness, my heart was more ready to be there. I could see better. I don't know how to say it. But I could see better. And I really over the course of that meal, really felt like God, if, you, if you'll go with me, I really felt like God wanted me to do something, like buy their meal. So at the end, I'm like, all right, I'll buy it. Like I, I felt that. I, so I called the waitress over. I go, I want to buy their meal. And then I really felt like God wanted me to do more than buy their meal. He wanted me to say something. I'm like, ugh, that's awkward. Like it feels like you're like, like I'm great. I'm buying your meal. And, and uh, so I'm like, all right, Lord, I'll, I'll do it. So on the way out of the restaurant, I went over to the table. Three guys, you can imagine you guys are in your 20s. An old dude comes walking up to your table like, what is he doing? They're, we're outside. They're sitting together. And I go, hey, boys, lunch is on me. And, and it, was, it was amazing. All working guys, clearly, because they just busted out laughing. Not laughing at me, like laughing with joy. This dude's going to pay for our meal. They start laughing out loud and looking at each other. It was amazing. And I, I really felt like I need to say something for the Lord. So I said this, hey, the Lord's chasing one of y'all. It was amazing. They stopped laughing. They all started looking at each other. <laughs> it was awesome. And then they started laughing again. It was, it was great. Every one of them jumped up and shook my hand. It was, it was crazy, like how a tiny, like, it wasn't a lot of money. It was just this gift that was something that I could see because I wasn't going so fast. I would have missed it going nine over, not stopping. I would have missed it. I wouldn't have had this opportunity to participate in this race of faith in that moment. I don't know what the Lord will do with that. It's not my responsibility. I got great joy out of it. I want that for us, and this reminds me that we're in a race that matters. When you think of that, you can't help but think of that thing in your pocket, right? That it's just, man, when you think about strip off every weight, I got to control this thing in my pocket, or it will take everything I got. Y- y'all get the fake buzzes in your pocket? Like, I'll be like, that thing ringing? Is, that, is it ringing? At night, do y'all get the fake buzz? I leave my buzzer on at night. Like, I'll, I'll hear a buzz. I'll wake up in my sleep. And it's, it's not buzzing. I'm so connected to it, it can distract me from what matters. Anybody else? So then we just got to be serious about taking it off, stripping it off at times so that it doesn't steal our soul. I, I flew back from Texas, took the truck to Texas, got on a plane, flew back. You know, when they turn the lights off on the plane, everybody, now you can plug your phone in on the plane, everybody's. Lights are up. Two ladies in their 30s sitting beside me, watching some kind of chaos on my right. Dude on, I, I don't know how to do it on my right. He was in his 40s. He's going through that phone like that. Like, like my arm was burning watching. That. I'm like, man. It, was, it, it just completely consumed them. So they, there was no way for them to have a conversation with real people. Or certainly not to see what God may do. And I, I watched, uh, Cheryl and I watched The Lord of the Rings again over, over the break. And 
there's this part that I saw which moved me. I'm, I'm kind of that way. And in the old movie, I mean, in the movies where it shows ancient days, you'll see like the king is held really high. And at some point, somebody's going to bow down and kind of hold their hands out. So I went up to my room and I just did that with God. I got on my knees and, and I bowed down, hold my hands out to God. I could not help but on the plane seeing these people doing this. Like they are so in it, right? Like it's like a worship position. And it, it almost like it's this deep connection between this thing and them, this deep love relationship. And it just, it just concerns me that it's stealing our souls. So all of us just got to wake up and go, all right, all right, all right I, I need to check in. And if it's holding me back from running the race that matters, I'm not telling you to throw your phone away. I'm just saying, is it stealing your soul? Is it holding you back from running the race that matters? And then we got to come up with ways to limit it. We can do that in community. We can do that uh, a variety of ways. And that's just one of many things that uh, we might need to strip off. And then he says, strip off all the weight that slows us down. And then he says, especially the sin that easily trips us up. Pretty good. Everybody in this room, I couldn't help but think of kudzu right there. You ever try to run in kudzu? <laughs> you can't run in kudzu. You're trying to get away from somebody in kudzu. It just, it's like it jumps up. The old translation says it entangles you. It, it, it's almost like it, it's alive and it grabs you. It's just so thick, it grabs you, it entangles you, and then next thing you know, you're on your face and it ruins the race. Especially the sin that easily trips us up. And sex was created beautiful, right? It was, it was made for us. It was created beautiful. It was, it was made for a man and a woman to have in marriage. And yet today, it just, when it's abused, it can just entangle you. You can't stop. I got to see the next image, right? Or I got to come up with a different definition in order to try to fulfill some need of my heart. Created beautiful, but when it's abused, it, it just entangles us. Money will do the same thing. I have one more thing. You know, like you, you start, you wait and you wait for the one more thing. And when you buy the one more thing, then what? Then there's another thing. We always got one more thing, but there's a list of about 20. And once you get that thing, you start thinking about the next thing. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. It just, it'll steal your soul. I mean, even folks that don't know Jesus are beginning to figure this out. It'll steal your soul. There's stuff written about porn right now that like folks that don't know Jesus are saying it's killing our country. Right? It's killing us, even, even without the idea of pleasing God. So he says, uh, strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. What's really cool about being part of a spiritual family is that everybody in this room has been entangled at one point. And so, so we together as we walk, this is a place Designed Right has this safety to it where we talk to each other as we run this race because we need each other in this race. And then he hits like the punchline of the passage. And let us run with endurance the race of God. This word endurance, like, it really flows through all 17 verses in, in Hebrews 12, 1 to 17. It's, it's the theme of endurance. It's a theme that kind of runs all the way through the Bible that this is a journey that we walk on with God. And it's important the pace matters. Like, you don't want to go slow all the time. Probably ought to go quickly at times. But what really matters is that you finish. So he says, run with endurance. Uh, I'm reading a guy I really like. He's written several books. Um, 
His name's Erwin McManus. He's from uh, a church in California, and he's, he's talking about faith in this particular book, and here's what he says. First dimension faith is involved when we step out into an area of trust in God outside of our experience. So something we've never experienced before, but then watch what follows the comma. But the challenge set before us is clearly in the realm of possibilities. So we're, we're stepping out to do something we haven't done before because we trust God, but it's doable. Right? Like, like it's, it's not miraculous. It's doable. Our goals here at Radius, like we, we've got, if you haven't been here before, we've got U times two goals. So it, one's a discipleship goal, that our partners would make one disciple. Well, we don't need a miracle for that to happen. Right? Like, we actually just need to find somebody that is behind us walking with Jesus and, and walk them down the path. Where it's not complicated. It's just a question of whether we're going to be faithful or not. And we got a three-year goal. If you, I can tell you about it later if you want to hear it. And all, all, this is going to come down whether we're faithful or not. We've got a group's goal. We got our groups is a place where we have communi- community. We're hoping that all of our groups are going to multiply, that there'll be double the groups over three years that there were before. Well, that doesn't take a miracle. God's not coming and doing a miracle. That's just us being faithful and actually being willing to sacrifice and start another group. We're hoping to, all of our churches will plan another church. But sometimes I'm supposed to lead this thing. It feels kind of miraculous at this point. How are we going to do that? But not really. Like if some of us will go, we'll keep filling this room up, and we can go down the street, and a young leader steps up, and he's willing to lead. It can be done. And then we do the same with money. We want to live generously. We're about that. We gave away a bunch of money, $5.5 million in our first 18 years, and we hope to do that in three years. And you go, that's, that seems like that's miraculous. Not really. Like really, if we just... All were faithful, and that'd be done. I, I love what he's saying here. It's like sometimes you read Hebrews 11, you get really excited about these dramatic things where a big part of a life of faith is just being faithful. But then there's this second dimension that McManus talks about. He says, second dimension, faith sees realities in the realm of impossibilities. That makes sense. It means you can see something changes and that you can't change. Quite honestly, at the beginning of Becca's situation, it seemed unchangeable. And yet, God has decided to glorify himself by bringing her along this process. And so we prayed. There was nothing we could do. How many thousand miles away? In in reality, some of the doctors said there was nothing they could do. So that's beyond. But we were praying for something that we, was outside of the realm of possibility. Praise God. It's fun to be a part of a community that believes that stuff can happen beyond us. McManus closes with this. He says, faith is such a big word, exciting, daring, magnetic. Faithful is such an ordinary word. It is somewhat dull, routine, and bland. I'm convinced more of us would like to be known by faith but resist the tedious journey of being faithful. Pretty darn good. So second dimension faith, these crazy miraculous moments generally come to folks who have been faithful, which is what we're trying to do as a group. And so when we say run the race of endurance, it's a grind, right? He goes on to say run the race of endurance, the race that is laid out for you. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, as I read it, it looks much more like a mud run. Right? Like it's not like a clean marathon where you run 26 miles in your short shorts and, you know, like it's hard, but 
There's nothing in the way. It feels much more like a, a run with all sorts of obstacles. Anybody read Pilgrim's Progress? It's a classic. Anybody read it in the original English? Good. I neither could I. So I was up there. I tried to read it over break. I got to chapter 10, and he was still talking. I'm like, bro, come on. Let's get to the point. It was amazing. It's amazing. It's a classic. You want to read it? You need a little time. Uh, but the, the star of the story is a guy named Christian, and you watch him walk this journey. At the beginning, he's got this huge burden on his back. For some of y'all in the room who have yet to meet Jesus, you're walking with it. We can see it on you because we had one. And when he meets Jesus, the burden falls away. It's it's a, it's an amazing part of the story. The burden falls away, and there's this freedom that he had never had before. Now, the journey's just beginning. He sets him free from the burden, and now he's on this path, this lifelong path, this mud run, if you will, uh, all the way to the finish of his life. And he's got these adventures all along the way. It, it's a classic. I mean, 1600s, I think. It's a long, it was written a long time ago by John Bunyan, and this guy captures our life. It's a journey, and it's a hard journey. At one point, Christian, the, the star of the, the story, is going up a hill, and there's a rest area. I can feel this. Like, you ever, you, ever, <laughs> you ever hike where you're like, please, there needs to be a chair somewhere. My legs are bad. Cheryl can walk. It doesn't even face her. I am I'm about to pass out. I need something to sit down. And when that chair finally appears, you're like, thank you, Lord. Somebody else is weak like me. Christian sits down on the bench that's been set before him on this upward path, and he falls asleep in the story. And he sleeps for hours and hours and hours. It, it just reminds me of me and you. He, he needed rest. He didn't need to sleep for hours and hours. And then when he finally woke up, he only had a little daylight left, and he kind of goes running up the hill. And when he gets halfway up the hill from there, he realized he left. He calls it the document, God's Word. He left the document in the rest area. Now he's got to turn around and go back and get the document. Anybody else? Some of y'all my age? <laughs> you stuck at the rest area? You leave the document? Like this thing has meant so much to us, has guided us so far. Like, have, have you forgotten to go back to it? Uh, the writer of the Psalms, Psalm 132, writes this. I thought it was great. I read it uh, again over my time. I will not let my eyes sleep nor close my eyelids in slumber until I find a place to build a house for the Lord, a sanctuary for the mighty one of Israel. I read it the first time. I don't know how you read it, but I'm like, yeah, David, go build a temple, man. It's about time. And then you read it again, you read it again, you start looking at yourself, and you're like, ugh, that's kind of like a daily psalm for me. Like, I'm not going to sleep until I worship today. It's so easy to get on this cycle where it's procrastinated another day, where I don't allow my, my soul to become a sanctuary for the Holy One. So it was this reminder as Christian tries to get up the hill, I got to get up out the rest area. There's so much to do, but I need to keep that document close to my heart and find a way into the Lord's presence on a regular basis. And all of this is happening amongst this great cloud of witnesses, this great crowd of witnesses. They're all watching us. They're all in williams Bryce, and we're on the field doing a mud run. You got your mud run, I got my run. Like, I got this path, and you got that path. It's, it's a, it's a sci-fi movie, right? Like, you're reading it. it. It doesn't have to all make sense. You're running your path, and you've got some hard spots in certain places, but I got some hard spots in some other places. Anybody? 
Like you run in here and I'm running there and you're looking around, we're watching each other and yet there's this great cloud, of, this great crowd of folks that have already run it. And in one way they're cheering for us to keep the faith. In another way we're looking at them to be inspired to keep the faith. We read chapter 11 here on Sunday morning. We talked about Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Rahab. I'll call them the hall of faith, if you will. So I'm, I'm Williams Bryce. I'm thinking of all those names up around the upper rim. That's, that's, that's the greatest. And then there's these groups when you read it. There's this group that called the prophets. You talk about being canceled. <laughs> all the prophets got canceled. I mean, when I, you say canceled, some of them, they got killed in horrible ways because they had this news from God for the people. There's this list of folks that are remembered by the adventure that they went on of faith, and there's this list of folks that are remembered by the suffering that they endured. Did you read the one where the dude sawed in half, Isaiah? I mean, before chainsaws. I mean, awful death because of his relationship and representation of God. At one point, he actually called, he says, the people of Israel moved in faith. So I, I imagine the stadium, again, it's not five, so I can make it up as I go, right? It's a mystery. It's a stadium, and, and over here, all the Jewish folks, and you can do it by nation, and here's the folks from the United States, and there's the folks from Egypt, and you go all the way around the world. And it's funny, when you get caught up into world politics, you, you forget there's more believers in China than there are here. Right? They got a big old section. That stadium, like, like a massive statement of, of believers from China. Whole stadium. And as you run, your race, your mud run, you can identify with different folks in the group. I, I keep reminding our section, United States, and, and like down at the bottom, there's a little area called South Carolina, like, like a little, little area. And then there's a little part in the Midlands and Lexington. There's these folks that have lived a life of faith from our town. They're like, let's go, bro. Take care of your radius. Like, lo- love the folks and represent him well. And at times you look up and you see the Hall of Fame and you're inspired by the guys on the rim or the ladies on the rim. And you run always with the opportunity to see somebody that's already done it. That's what this passage is all about. As a matter of fact, I think it's much less about them watching us and much more about us watching them as we run. And so as we run, we look to them and you hit the hurdle of suffering. You look to somebody else. You hit the kudzu of sexual sin, you got somebody to inspire you. You hit the mountain of money, we usually call it debt, right? Like, like you got somebody to look at, you, your family of origin. There's other folks that have come from that place. It's, it's, it's encouraging to watch it. And when you look at all the folks in the stands that have done this before, there's this one common theme. They're pointing up. They're trying to get your eyes off of them and remind you of how they got through the race. And there's this... If you will, again, I'm making this up. This is what the Bible says. There's this retired jersey, just one of them, and it's hanging in the middle of the stadium. I mean, it's hanging, but it's not connected to anything, right? This is sci-fi. It's just hanging, and no matter where you are in the mud run, you can see that one jersey. Anybody want to guess whose jersey that is? It's glowing bright, right? It's glowing. It fills the stadium with light. You can see it no matter where you are if you want to see it. We start, started this church, we got this big R out front, so I thought I'd go with R's. It's bright because he was righteous. There was no sin in him. He was reputable. He reproves us because of his righteousness. He's remarkable, right? Like this race to him is easy because he's all God. 
So on one level, that's inspiring because it's so bright. On another level, like, does he get me? Well, like, he got this really bright jersey, but it, then it kind of flashes like it's dirty. Not like dirty with sin, but dirty like he's been down the same road that we've been. So it's got this warmth that, despite the brightness, invites us in. He's reliable. He's renowned because he ran the mud run. He's responsive to us because he knows what it is to suffer. And he's real, 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 real. He did this hard thing. He knows where you're at. So when you look to the jersey, you look to a king in, in the shocking fashion that walked this life like you did. You know, on that big jersey that's glowing bright but has this warmth to it, this blood dripping. It's the most shocking part of the jersey. There's this blood dripping from it. He came to restore those who were lost. Many have requested <laughs> because he is, it is required of you to believe in that shed blood. And then he'll share the riches. He's rich. He shares the riches. Not, not like you're going to live in a big house and drive a nice car, but you have the peace that comes from the blood of Christ that makes you righteous. And so we run the race. We even suffer in the race. But we look to one who's already run it. I'll read you that one verse again as we close. Chapter 2, I mean, chapter 12, verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects faith. I love that. Some of y'all that grew up in church, you remember the old hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Like there's, this, there's this look to the, it's just this reminder that he's been through it and that he's great. It says, because of the joy awaiting him, one, he's being obedient to his father. And so God is going to glorify him because of obedience. Two, he's going to save you. He's excited about saving you. It's this joy before him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. You talk about getting canceled. Jesus got canceled. They put him up on the cross, the most shameful form of capital punishment. But this passage, if you read it from the original, kind of says he shamed the shame. The cross was the most awful way to go, and it was the most shameful way to go back in the day. And now we, we put him up everywhere. He shamed the shame. Now he's seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Those of us that know him, you look up at that, that jersey hanging with drug, blood dripping, you want to go, hey, let's go. It makes us want to worship with the great cloud of witnesses. It makes us, despite our difficulty of life, it makes us want to call him great. It makes us want to point to it. It makes us want to run. One of my favorite things in the passage is the, the writer calls him the champion. And so on Sundays, that's what we remember. We remember that Jesus was the champion. He told us and the disciples of the day to do this in remembrance of him. Remember me. In essence, before, during, and after his life, he's making a statement once sin entered this earth that I'm going to win this back. And so, like, as, as in a humble, powerful way as our Savior, he came and won back our life. The question is, do you believe? 
if you don't believe, you don't get the opportunity to experience it. And those of you that do believe, it ought to make you want to sing. It ought to make your hands move. It ought, it ought to move us. 